You do the work. It's the work that's exciting. It's nice to stand up there and have everybody applaud and hold your statue and go, I've arrived. But that's not true. You have a moment where everybody thinks you're the best. And then you make another movie and it bombs. That is Larry Moss. And I'm Lee Foster. You're listening to Action, the no-bullshit podcast dedicated to the pursuit of acting excellence. Larry is one of the most sought-after acting coaches in the world today. He worked with Helen Hunt on As Good As It Gets, Tobey Maguire on Seabiscuit, Hilary Swank on Boys Don't Cry and Million Dollar Baby, Leonardo DiCaprio on The Aviator, The Departed, The Wolf of Wall Street, and many, many more. He studied with Stella Adler and Sanford Meisner. He has taught at Juilliard and The Circle in the Square in New York City. He has acted in numerous Broadway productions, has directed for the stage and screen, is the founder of the Larry Moss Studio in Los Angeles, and is the author of the highly acclaimed book on acting, The Intent to Live. Enjoy this episode. Now, I just want to do this real quick, Larry. And I know you're a humble man, so this might be hard, but here are some of the uh, projects you've worked on. Helen Hunt in as, in as Good As It Gets, Academy Award. Hilary Swank in Boys Don't Cry and Million Dollar Baby, Academy Awards. Michael Clark Duncan in The Green Mile, Academy Award nomination. Hank Azaria in Tuesdays with Maury, Emmy Award. Jim Carrey in The Majestic. Toby McGuire in Seabiscuit. Leonardo DiCaprio in The Aviator, Golden Globe Award and Academy Award nomination. The Departed, Golden Globe nomination. Blood Diamond, Golden Globe and Academy Award nomination, Shutter Island, Inception, J. Edgar, SAG, and Golden Globe Award nominations, The Wolf of Wall Street, Golden Globe, Need I Go On? You never know when you're working on a film or a play how it's going to turn out. We all start to do what we do with the best of intentions, and sometimes it works better than others. And when it works well, you go, okay. I'm grateful. And I don't mean to sound stupidly humble, but I don't take anything for granted, particularly at this point in my life, to say, oh, this is, you know, this is going to be easy. You're going to be brilliant in this and we're going to go. You start to develop from the writer, from the script, who the person is that you're playing. And you do your backstory and you break it down scene by scene. But you start with who am I? So... All the things that you mentioned, we did backstories on. How did they grow up? What was their social economic level? What was the important thing, the trauma or the joy that changed them? Who are they when the movie starts? Where are they in their life? What is their problem? What do they want? What are they after? What's the obstacle? How do they walk? What are their personal traits physically? Are they still? Are they very extroverted? Are they very kind of inhibited and mistrustful? And then you, what I try to do, because something that's helped me very much is to find out, which really starts with Stanislavski, why, rather, why does the character want what they want? What drives them? It's like I say to you, Lee, why do you want to be an actor? Why aren't you on an investment banker? Why aren't you an inventor? Why aren't you a restaurant owner? You say no. I am going to be an actor. And if you go back in your life and you see, how did I grow up? What was tough? What was good? Who did I love? Who hurt me? 
What am I angry about? Who am I at this moment? You start to go, this is what I fill my days with. This is the way I dress. We're very particular. And when you're working on a part, you want to find out why they want what they want, what drives them. And once the actors find out what is driving them emotionally, why they have to get what they want no matter what, and who they are, their accent, their physical behavior, their rhythms, their tempo, how they deal with objects. You know, if you take a certain character and you go, okay, I'm going to smoke. I watch a lot of people who don't smoke pretend to smoke on film. And I go, liar, liar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I go, I smoked for a while, so I know what it is to inhale. And they, some of them, some say, oh, I can fake it. The truth of it is that everybody smokes particular ways, how you carry your cigarettes, what kind of lighter you have, how you hold the cigarette. That's all who you are. And so when people are general, oh, I'm just going to smoke. Yeah, but how do you smoke? Oh, I don't want to get heady. I don't want to get intellectual. I'm not telling you to be intellectual. I'm asking you, how do you pick up the cigarette, put it in your mouth, light it, inhale, and blow the smoke out? And how often do you take a drag? Mm -hmm. And why do you? What does it do for you when you inhale? And when yeah. you see somebody making these choices, you go, oh, you mean specificity. I say in my classes, only actors are general. Life never is. So, Larry, for the sake of this interview, my podcast is uh, a lot of different types of actors, a lot of people, a lot of actors who are in uh, different stages of their careers. I believe a lot of them are in the first years. I don't know for sure because I haven't met all of them, obviously, but I hear from a fair amount of them. And so for that fact, I want to talk about the intent to live and I want to stick with the first three chapters and kind of get into those a little bit. And then I'm going to intersperse a lot of other questions in between those. Okay. So the first chapter in intent to live, I'm going to start with a quote and that is the given circumstances are always the same no matter who acts the part. So what are given circumstances and why are they important? Well, you can't act if you're not specific about what literally happens, meaning I walk through the door, I find a dead body, I don't know who it is, I don't know why they're in my house, I call the police, I sit there and I realize that it's someone I met and that's the story, that's what happens. So if you're not clear about the circumstances, I'm in a bar. I see the most beautiful girl I ever saw in my life and something I never do. I went up to her and I asked her if she'd like to have a drink with me. And she says, yes. And we sit down and then we dance and we start to get along. And I ask her if she wants to go out with me again. And she says, yes, that's what happens. That's the story. Those are the circumstances. It's 10 o'clock in the morning. It's two o'clock in the afternoon. It's 10 at night, it's 1 in the morning, it's 4 in the morning, it's cold out, it's windy, it's the, the dead of summer in August, it's humid and hot and I feel like I'm, I can't breathe. Circumstances, the specific, why does Tennessee Williams make all of his plays mostly in the summer? Why is the summer? It's steamy, it's sensual, it can be claustrophobic, you can feel like you have nowhere to run. There's very specific... I always say your job is to be specific about persons, places, objects, and events that the character deals with. 
So the basic circumstances, and I want to be clear about this, not your interpretation, literally what happened. Because if you're clear about what happens, then you can begin to interpret it. So that would be the first thing that you would go over with an actor on a script, would be the given circumstances. Well, right. And write them down. Literally what you do. I walk in, I wash my face, I get a Pepsi-Cola from the icebox, I sit down, I turn on the television, there's an earthquake where I grew up, I call my parents to see if they're okay, and nobody answers. Those are the circumstances. And if you write that down, it gets very clear in your mind. That's the story. Now I will interpret it, how I feel when I get home. Am I tired? Am I happy? Am I a positive person or a negative person? That's something I evoke in my interpretation from the clues that the writer gives you. Good actors are good detectives. And one of the things that I know works, and I'm talking about movie scripts and plays, is read them five times. And Stella Adler taught us to do it this way. Read it once for fun, just to read it. Then read it silently on your lips, the whole script descriptions, other characters. Don't read it out loud, just on your lips. Then read it again and read it out loud. When you begin to really study a script, you begin to have stirrings inside your own psyche of how that story affects you. So reading the script a lot, I go, oh, I forgot that. I didn't even see that line. I didn't even get that. So be scrupulous about being a detective. People laugh at Eugene O'Neill because of his stage directions, and he will say before a soliloquy or in a scene, he'll say in brackets, terrifyingly, exhaustively, or insanely. And you go, I don't listen to any of that. And I go, wait just a minute. Before you erase it, find out what Eugene O'Neill or Arthur Miller or Neil Simon or... Shakespeare or Ibsen, you know, I'm one of these people that say to young actors, go back, even if you don't want to. Read Ibsen, Henrik Ibsen. Everything that's done in modern theater is based on Ibsen. Doll's House, A Wild Duck, Hedda Gobbler. You read those plays in awe. Harold Pinter, Stephen Adley Gurgis, David Mamet. These writers are extraordinary. And there's more wonderful female writers writing now than ever before because women are having a, a say. Lillian Hellman was a writer who wrote in the 30s and 40s, and she was the only woman. Now, all over Broadway, Laurie Susie Parks, Susan Laurie Parks, rather, a wonderful African-American writer. She's just awesome. So these are some of the wonderful modern female writers that are doing wonderful work in the 20th century and the 21st century. Annie Baker, Sarah Rule, Laura Eason, Susan Laurie Parks, Marcia Norman, Tina Landau, Yasmina Reza or Reza, Beth Henley, Amy Herzog, Jane Anderson, and Rebecca Gilman. I'm saying about studying writers, August Strindberg, if you sit down, young actors and actresses, and read the play Miss Julie, and you read The Stronger, and you read The Father, you read Strindberg, he was really the first modern playwright. What he wrote, 
clutches your throat. That's why it's still done on Broadway today. All these writers, actors die. Writers last a long, long time. So respect for writers and reading, respect for reading. When I first decided to go all in on, on acting and I, I quit my shitty sales job and I put every ounce of energy I had into getting as good as I possibly can at acting, I was working on it all day, every day. And one of the things that I did was I started to read a lot of plays, a lot of old plays that I hadn't read. And I would also read uh, scripts for movies that I had seen. Great. And what that did for me actually is uh, it made me realize that when you watch a, an amazing performance by an actor, that if you imagine that all that was was black text on white paper, yeah. and that's what they did with it. I think that's one of the things that made me really want to be an actor. That's right. The writers are the actor's best friend because you know, Lee, the most healthy symbiotic relationship in the world, the writer needs the actor and the actor needs the writer. They can't do without each other. So if you don't relish, fall in love with these extraordinary writers, you're missing your whole career. Daniel Day-Lewis played Hamlet when he was 23. Meryl Streep did 40 plays at Yale before we ever heard of her. Jake Gyllenhaal is going back and forth between Broadway and film as Andrew Garfield. This uh, extraordinary Greta Gerwig, whose movie Lady Bird just came out. I just saw it by myself two days ago. Extraordinary. Extraordinary writing. Extraordinary directing and acting. And you go, people really work their butts off. And that's something that I'm key about that I learned very early because I was lucky enough to work with Jerome Robbins and work with Neil Simon and work with Michael Bennett and work with Bert Shevelov. And these people were so committed to, the, to excellence. And I worked alongside Madeline Kahn and Lily Tomlin. We did a cabaret show. I was at this cabaret job for two years, doing two shows a night for two years. You learn by doing the work ethic. It's joyful. There's so much joy. You read a play, one of the greatest things, I, I read a play by Brian Friel, the great Irish playwright, uh, called The Faith Healer. I was by myself, and I sat down one Sunday, Sunday afternoon by myself, and I read that play by myself, and I sobbed. And then I started laughing. I said, this is one of the best moments of my life, sitting with a great writer and feeling his intention or her intention, why they sat down and wrote it. That's the thing I want actors to understand is, when you pick up a script, somebody sat down alone, wrote it. You know, Eugene O'Neill in Long Day's Journey Into Night, it says in the preface of that play, written in blood and tears by Eugene O'Neill. Don't you dare disrespect the writer. Sometimes in television and film, they go, oh, say whatever you want. Just, just be real. Don't be acting. Well, nobody wants to see people be acty or phony, but that's not the same thing as saying, it's like saying this, it's like saying... I'm playing Hamlet. But tonight, you know, I think tonight, you know, it's like, I'm going to say to be, and I feel like tonight I'm going to say, or maybe not. To be, or maybe not to be. <laughs> yeah. You must be stopped. <laughs> yeah. You must be stopped. And now, what do you mean to be or maybe not to be? I mean, you know, I don't know. I'm not, you know, shut up. Yeah. Respect the writer. Well, what is the deal with acting teachers telling people to uh, remove the punctuation in uh, scripts? Well, that comes from 
my first wonderful teacher, Sanford Meisner, who said he felt that people got wedded to stage directions that weren't really the authors. They were probably the stage managers. That's right. Yep. I remember that now. So don't pay any attention to it. But it's wrong. Because what then some young actors do and older actors do, they go, oh, I'm not going to deal with an exclamation point yeah. or, that, or that semicolon or that ellipses. Harold Pinter broke down what his pauses were. Yeah. I tell my class this all the time. In Harold Pinter, great English writer, when he does an ellipses, dot, 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 he says, that pause is the character saying, I know what I want to say, but I don't know how to say it. If Harold Pinter writes a pause, he's saying, I know what I want to say, but I'm afraid to say it. If he says silence, he says, I know exactly what I want to say, and I'm not going to say it. And that's what you're thinking about in the silence. So silence, pause, and ellipses were very particular. They're psychological, they're emotional, they're behavioral. And when you read Pinter, you just go crazy. You go, oh, that's what the pause is. That's what the silence is. That's what the ellipses is. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Well, that brings me to another question. And I wanted to ask you about improv. You've worked with a lot of amazing uh, actors, and I'm just curious, how do they feel about improv? Do they like it when the director gives them room to move on a script, or do they always get room to move on a script? Do they? Is it a case-by-case basis? I will tell you a great story that will really get that clear. I was working with an actor the other day who was going up for a very great part in a Broadway show by a very great writer, and we worked very diligently on the script and the backstory, and we talked about his upbringing, his relationship to his family. And he does something in the character, he does something terrible to one of his family members, which is what his whole character is about. And we did an improv. As I said, what happened with that person in your family that made you do that terrible thing? What was the last time you spoke to them that made you do it? Now, dig this. He goes to the audition. He does very well. The director says, can you wait, please? And he waits about 15 minutes, and they call him back in. And the director says, why did you do that in the play? Well, he got so emotional because he had done the homework of that moment. He knew the moment he made that decision in the fight with that family member. And he got the job because a director wants to believe that they're safe with you as an actor, that you're going to bring it. So improvisation is so important and helps so much. That's amazing. What about on set when they're actually filming? I know that one of your favorite films is East of Eden. And I know, well, I don't know, but I've I read the biography of James Dean. And I know that, well, I think that he was given a lot of uh, ability to improvise on that movie. And I, some of my other like favorite performances by actors in, in film I hear that they got a lot of room to improvise. Did you happen to see the movie James White? It was in 2015 with this guy, Christopher Abbott. He's not very well known. No, I don't. Okay. What about, uh, did you see the French film, Blue is the Warmest Color? I believe that I did. It's very familiar, but I can't quite remember. It doesn't really matter. I'm just wondering, like, on these big productions, these big studio productions with these A-list actors, are they generally sticking to the script or do they vary from the script quite often? I mean, what? You know, it's an interesting thing. 
film is take one, take two, take three, take four. Let's do one where the stakes are very, very high and you'll do anything to get what you want. Go as far as you want to, whatever you want to do. But you see, the other aspect of it is that there's a camera following you and it has been blocked. But if you're in a two shot and then suddenly you go, you know what, let's mix it up. Let's use some of the dialogue. If something else comes up and you want to say it, let yourself say it. Let's get out of our heads and just listen to each other and watch each other. And we know the scene. Let's do it. And uh, something brilliant happens. There is a documentary that I just finished that's coming out called The Process. And we did it at USC Film School. It was with young directors for comedy on film. And it was about 200 directors at USC, young people. And they came to see me and the wonderful director Jim Brooks mm -hmm. and Barnett Kelman, who runs the USC Film School, work on this scene from Tootsie, the Dustin Hoffman, Terry Garr film with an incredible Jessica Lange, incredible people. And we did one scene and I had them do it six different ways, the same scene. We do it over and over and over six times. And we take it from very small, realistic, quiet to all out farce. And we explore the subtext and we have the actors act out their anger, their frustration, their attraction, full out. And then we do it again and they hide it. But when you watch the last performance, you see all of the improvisations we did simmering underneath the text. And it's an interesting documentary because you're looking at the same scene six times. But it changes and changes and changes and changes. So yes to improvisation. Larry, I'm going to jump around a lot in this. Uh, this is kind of my style. I'll, I'll jump around and it won't make sense, but um, bear with me. You worked with Michael Clark Duncan, and I've heard you tell a story about meeting him for the first time when you were preparing him for a screen test. Could you tell that story to myself and my listeners firsthand? Michael Clark Duncan was an amazing man, and the producers and director called me in to talk about the script, which I loved and moves me deeply, and the role of John Coffey an African-American giant of a man who was the pivotal character in The Green Mile. Frank Darabont directed it, and beautifully. And Tom Hanks and wonderful supporting cast. And they couldn't find anybody to play John Coffey. They couldn't find a big, big guy who was African-American who had the innocence, because John Coffey really stands for Jesus Christ, a, who had the innocence, the bulk, physically, the sensitivity, and the broken heart. So they asked me if I would work with this guy, Michael Clark Duncan, meet with him. And he was just huge. I mean, I don't know. Well, he weighed a lot and is all muscle. And I mean, it was scary. Yeah, he was massive, massive human being. And when he came to work with me, he didn't want to work with me. He didn't, hadn't worked with an acting coach. And he goes, I don't want to be here. And I said, well, okay, that's cool. Sit down, Michael, and let's talk. I want to know everything about your life because I knew as a coach that he had to go to the tenderest, most heartbreaking parts of human behavior. And Michael grew up in the ghetto in Chicago without a father, with a sister and a mother, money problems, real heartache. And he made it out, became an actor and a stuntman. And he began to talk about his background in Chicago and he started crying. And he couldn't believe he was sobbing. And I said, just let it go, Michael. Just keep talking to me. Keep telling me what happened. 
And when he finished, he grabbed my hand and I said, Michael, you can play this part. You have it in you. Trust me, you can, you will. And we went to the screen test and wonderful Tom Hanks did the screen test in full costume for the three John Coffees they were screen testing. He was in full costume and he was never on film. He wanted the guys who were going up for John Coffee to really see a policeman. So that was generous of him. And so Michael got the part and I went to the screen tests to watch him. And in one moment in the screen test, they did a, a close up of his eyes. You saw the pain of the world in that man's eyes and you knew that that was John Coffey. And the first time we were on set, the first scene was with Tom Hanks and I prepared Michael. He got to the jail cell. He was prepared. His face started to tremble a little bit. Frank Darabont said action. He did the scene, which was sad and desperate and hopeful and hit it, hit it full tilt boogie. And the most wonderful thing is, as uh, Tom Hanks said, when he finished that first take, he said, Jesus Christ. And I thought, we're home. And I said to Michael, when it came out and he got an Academy Award nomination, all of that, I said, how do you feel, Michael? And he said, he never called me Larry, which always made me sad, but it was out of respect. And he said, uh, Mr. Moss, when I used to get into an elevator, people would back away. And now they shake my hand. That movie touched a lot of people. And Michael Clark Duncan had the soul of Christ. He was as deep and profound in his heart as anyone I ever met. And it's on the screen for people to see. Frank Darabont, the director, said, Larry Moss was my secret weapon on the Green Mile, for it was his uncanny abilities as a teacher that unlocked the door to Michael Clark Duncan's deep well of talent and allowed that talent to shine. Under Larry's guidance, Michael blossomed into an actor before my eyes in ways that still surprise and inspire me, resulting in an incredible performance that earned Michael a Best Supporting Actor nomination that year. Yeah, but you know, again, you don't start to think about Oscars or Emmys or Grammys or Tony Awards. You do the work. It's the work that's exciting. It's nice to stand up there and have everybody applaud and hold your statue and go, I've arrived. But that's not true. You have a moment where everybody thinks you're the best. And then you make another movie and it bombs. That's not who you are. Your success is not who you are. And your failure is not who you are. If you're talented and you work hard, you'll have successes and you'll have failures. The successes are happier. The failures you learn a lot from. I've had both. To find out more about Larry, go to LarryMoss.org. His book, The Intent to Live, can be purchased anywhere books are sold. I've started a Facebook group for this podcast. I'll be posting the upcoming interviewees there, and if you want me to ask them a question for you, you can ask it there. If you don't want me to say your name on the podcast, please let me know. I'm Lee Foster. Thanks for listening.